This is the culmination of the great 50 days of Easter, the Feast of Pentecost, when the Church celebrates its beginning. Some people refer to Pentecost as the birthday of the Church. It is a, a feast that represents the transfer of the presence of the Holy Spirit of God in the person of Jesus Christ in his earthly ministry to the people of God, the church, who now become both the beneficiaries and the fiduciaries of the Spirit of God. Over the past 50 days, we have focused our attention on three great theological themes, God's light, God's life, and God's love. And we have understood them to be manifested in the liturgical life of the Christian church through four things. The presence of the light of Christ, symbolized by the paschal candle. The presence of the illuminative processes of God in the community of faith we call the church. And also in the hearts of all faithful people. We also understand this, that the primitive church used the Greek word photismus as one of the words to describe baptism, the process of illumination and the receiving of the Holy Spirit. We see how this light has been shown in the world through the biblical witness and through the great narrative of the history of salvation. As N.T. Wright said in a lecture I heard him give recently, a great sprawling narrative. And in this narrative, we learn something. We learn that we're not merely reading about events that occurred a long time ago, but people who read and meditate upon the scriptures, the sacred scriptures of the Jews, the Hebrew Bible, and the Christian scriptures, we discover something about ourselves. We discover that we're part of the history of salvation. And that somehow our own personal story counts. And we're needed by God to fulfill God's purposes in the cosmos. That we understand that, that we're part of this great sweep of the history of salvation at work in the world. And we also understand that the, the energy or the force that pre pre presents this to people who become Christian is the, as baptism. Two sacramental things that are focused on during the great 50 days. Baptism, where each one of us receive the Holy Spirit of God. Each one of us receive the three infused virtues of faith, hope, and love. And we are strengthened in our baptism by participating in the celebration of the Holy Eucharist week to week, month to month, year to year. The receiving of the spiritual food and drink which provides us with the strength and the stamina to face the opportunities and challenges that are in front of each of us on a daily basis. So we have that starting place, and on Pentecost, we realize its importance and its fullness. Father Thomas Keating, in his book, The Mystery of Christ, The Liturgy of Spiritual Experience, 
says that each feast of the liturgical year is both an event to be celebrated and a grace to be received. The grace of Pentecost is to know that Christ is all in all and to know his spirit, the ongoing promise of the Father. So I'm going to preach about all three of the readings and see how the Holy Spirit of God is made present in in different ways in all three of these readings. The first is the book of Acts. The book of Acts is Luke's volume two. So the same person that wrote Luke wrote Acts. And it's the story about how now the Christian church and Christian people, as I said, become both the beneficiaries and the fiduciaries, the stewards of the Holy Spirit of God and its importance and centrality. So when we think about this, we have then the story today of Pentecost. And the disciples and the apostles are in the upper, an upper room in Jerusalem and they come out. They're filled with the Holy Spirit and they begin to speak. And when they speak, everybody outside who is from somewhere else All of these people from the upper room are from Galilee, and they start to speak, and people from all over the ancient Near East who are in Jerusalem understand them. So Luke is trying to make the point that the Spirit of God is a unifying force that brings universal understanding and clarity. That process, unfortunately, did not continue beyond Pentecost, But it's also there for another reason, because for Luke and for his community that wrote his gospel and the other gospel writers, the Feast of Pentecost, what happened in Jerusalem is the reversal of the consequences that occurred at the Tower of Babel, where God confused the speech of the people because of their arrogance. And so by virtue of this, we see now that God's unifying work revisiting this idea brings universal clarity and understanding. The reversal of the consequences of the Tower of Babel. And that always means, of course, that we understand the Holy Spirit as something that is unifying. Next week, the hardest week in the the year for the preacher to preach on the Feast of the Trinity, Trinity Sunday, we'll learn that the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, is unitive being, is that part of the Godhead that seeks to unify. And so when we receive the Holy Spirit at our baptism, we're to be engaged in the process of unifying, of reconciling. And we get this from the reading from the book of Acts today. 1 Corinthians the Corinthian church. The church in the New Testament that is on the bleeding edge of the dysfunctional church movement. So here's the situation on the ground. There are people in the Corinthian church who believe that the gifts of the Spirit should be focused in one gift, And that's the gift of tongues. 
By the way, uh, in the church's life, uh, speaking in tongues, that process is called glossolalia. So let's all say the word right now. Glossolalia. It's a great word, isn't it? So Paul is saying to these people, there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. Speaking in tongues may be a gift, but there are other gifts. And we need to honor those gifts and understand what they are. And so he's at pains to speak of the varieties of gifts. He does by no means give us a complete list that the Spirit is working among the people of God in a variety of ways. It might surprise you to know that uh, Ignatius Loyola, the founder of the Society of Jesus, spoke in tongues. No one would know this if we hadn't read his private diaries after he died. He never spoke about it. And that was probably a wise move. So we don't throw cold water on it, but we don't exalt this as the sine qua non for what you need to do to be a Christian. Let me say something else here about uh, the work of the processes of God. One of the things that we understand is that uh, our conversion if it can be called that, or our becoming a Christian, our baptism is a process. And for most people in this culture, uh, this stuff seems absolutely incredible. And the church's task, of course, is to make the gospel intelligible, credible, and plausible. And sometimes the things you have to work on are things that people just assume that are true. I'm not going to talk about this uh, much at all, but one of the big ones that governs most of the public discourse today is that all things are equal, right? Everything's equal. Nobody makes distinctions. The only sin is exclusion. And so we need to have a conversation about whether those things are credible, whether they're intelligible, and whether or not they're plausible. And it takes a lot of work because we live in post-modernity and we just take some of this stuff absolutely for granted. So one of the ways you can begin to think about the spirit working in your own life has something to do with the idea of spiritual progress how would you know? How would you know whether you've made any spiritual progress in your life at all? You know, the capacity of the human person for self-deception is infinite. <laughs> it knows no bounds. So what would you use? Well, in the tradition with a capital T... One of the ways would be to say, when I receive these three infused virtues of faith, hope, and love, when I receive the Spirit of God in my baptism, what do I get with this as I seek to be faithful? And one of the things that you get are the fruits of the Spirit. 
There are different lists, but I'll read you one. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Now, if you're living your life and you begin to do some um, self-examination and reflection, if you find that you can do one or more of these things better than you used to, maybe, just maybe, you're making some spiritual progress. I mean, one of the, the ones that a lot of people struggle with is, uh, can I suffer fools a little more gladly? <laughs> you know? Jean-Paul Sartre said, hell is other people. <laughs> so suppose you can begin to not believe that a little bit more than you did before or yesterday when you stop to think about these things. The saving power of the Spirit of God has something to do with bringing to all relationship, external and internal, with our own personal demons, uh, a way to, to understand healing and wholeness. I've talked a lot about Edwin Friedman in my ministry. I heard him give a talk once where he said, Maturity is taking responsibility for your own being and destiny. Maturity is taking responsibility for your own being and destiny. So think about the culture. Think about where we're looking around to find somebody to blame for our shortcomings. Right? Or we believe that past is prologue. The only problem with believing that past is prologue is that the same cause has paradoxical effects. A child raised in a scrupulously neat family will either be a neatnik or a slob or something in between. It is not predictive of future behavior. But that's one of those things that we just believe and accept. So in the gospel, Jesus today comes into the room with the apostles and he gives them what is known in the tradition with a capital T, the power of the keys. Whatsoever sins you retain on earth are retained in heaven and whatsoever sins are remitted on earth are remitted in heaven. Now, that's usually thought about and preached about and taught about as a kind of apostolic granting to the leadership of the Christian church the, this ability to forgive sins. But in the other Gospels, not just John, this power of the keys is given to the whole church. And that means that you and I have the obligation to be reconcilers and to practice forgiveness, acceptance, and love. And to be instruments of God's reconciling work in the world. This is a lot easier to say than it is to do. You know that. But that's what this reading today is all about. That the spirit they receive is the unifying presence of God in relationship 
and that we seek to find the ways and the means to do that. You know, in John's Gospel also, the the Holy Spirit is referred to as the Comforter, with a capital C. And that means that the Spirit of God is not a divisive force. It is not a uh, force that always disturbs. There are some people, particularly those, by the way, who, who like speaking in tongues, where they believe that the Holy Spirit is to knock you off your pins, is to be invasive and to pray for that. But I think it's a better idea to think about the presence of the Holy Spirit as pervasive in our lives, as just part of who we are, you know, the breath, and how that works in our ordinary relationship. So this week, give thanks for the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Give thanks for the continuous presence of the Holy Spirit and the knowledge that the Holy Spirit can come again and again into our hearts as we become clearer about God's will and purpose for us. Father Keating says, you know, God is always on the move. When I was in seminary, a lot of people still do. They they teach this. They say God is unchangeable. God is unchanging. Aristotle would refer to that as the unmoved mover, right? Well, I think God is always on the move. I agree with Thomas Keating. But he's a stability because he's always on the move and returns so quickly you can't see that he left. You know, he said maybe that's why Elisha always saw his back on the mountain. Right? But he knew he was there because... He listened to him in the silence. And he was present in the silence. So finally, think about also being uh, a bringer of calmness and serenity to your relationships. And give thanks for the knowledge of God's abiding presence in Christ. God coming in an inward way to enlighten and strengthen you. Amen.